Welcome to Ausfilm Creatives, a podcast about Australian creatives working behind the camera. My name is Peter Sylvester and I'm your host. Welcome back, listeners, and uh, we're up to episode three with Anna Howard ACS. She uh, is a quite experienced DOP who's worked since 1980 in the film industry, and it's pretty exciting, actually, that uh, she's been named in the Hall of Fame for the Australian Cinematographer Society at this year's awards that was held in mid-May. In her early part of her career, when she was camera assisting, she worked under the likes of Russell Boyd, Andrew Lesney and John Seal, who are all Academy Award winners. So she's uh, learned from some of the best and has found her own style. And uh, yeah, so we'll be talking about her feature film Rabbit and her new Netflix series that she's just completed. So it'd be great to hear what she has to say and uh, her experience in the industry. And uh, yeah, so here we go. Welcome to the show. I'd like to get you start with telling us a little bit about yourself and why you became a cinematographer. Okay, so I have been in the camera department since 1980. I started, um, I went, this year after school, I went to North Sydney TAFE and did the film production course there and went straight into the camera department, which I was interested in because I did quite a few stills at school and that was kind of my interest. Um, And from there, I really just started working on small productions while I was at college and then left before I finished actually because I got some jobs. And I started off in the drama department at Grundy's, which was a production company in Sydney that did a whole lot of different kind of productions, but I went into children's drama and pretty well worked there for the first two years of my career, which was a fantastic training ground. Um, Excuse me. It, um, you know, it was kind of every day at work for two years, working solidly and just being trained up. So that was um, an exceptionally good start. Sort of doesn't seem to happen that much these days. There's not really places where you can go to be trained. So I was really fortunate. Um, It was also during the time of 10 BAs, so there were a lot of films that were being made. It was the, The industry was actually really vibrant and busy. So I was very lucky to have started in that era, I think. Um, yeah, so I, I worked my way up from being a clap loader to being a, an assistant, a focus puller, um, up through operating and into cinematography, which I started shooting my own work in 1995. Very nice. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I kind of agree with you. I mean, I kind of wish sometimes I, I'd started in the uh, bit earlier, like in the early 90s. I mean, I, I literally just finished in ni- 99. I finished studying and a lot of massive changes came through as far as, you know, like you said, getting, uh, you know, the availability to get work and very different now. And because of technology as well, I think we've got to find other ways to get in. And, you know, but also I think today we also have the opportunity to really 
have access to a lot better equipment for a lot cheaper so we can, you know, start creating much earlier too. Yes, absolutely. Yes, I agree. I mean, it's, um, you know, there's two sides to it. One, I guess, when I started, um, it was a real training ground because you weren't allowed to sort of pick up a camera and start shooting 35 mil because it was terribly expensive. It was also a much smaller industry. Um, and things did change quite rapidly, I think, when we moved to the digital era. Um, it became a lot more accessible to people and I guess the training wasn't real, hasn't really been the same, I don't think. Not, not as extensive? I don't think as extensive, no. Yeah. From a personal point of view, I mean, I spent 15 years as a camera assistant before I started shooting um, and working, I mean, it, the, the great thing about that was that I worked with really the best cinematographers in the country and some from around the world and you got to observe what they did and you, by the time you moved on you felt pretty competent and confident to move, to move forward. So that was, um, and also just being able to work with film I think it was made you very disciplined as well. I, I think the best way to learn if they if you go to film school is look for a film school that still teaches you on film and, and actually have to work with film because I think that discipline to really know your craft and understand your technical, you'll be a lot more confident in what you're doing when you're actually shooting because you actually understand not just looking at a, a screen and going, oh, yeah, that looks good, but yeah. you actually know what you're capturing and I think that's that. That's the the negative effect of the instantaneous digital technology we have now. So, I think so. I mean, I've just bought myself a new film camera, and it's really very interesting because you do spend a lot of time thinking about the shots that you're going to take. So, in the last, you know, I just went away, and in the last week or two weeks, I've shot like twenty frames. And it's very interesting because if I'd taken my digital camera, I probably would have shot hundreds. So yeah. it is a very, a very different discipline. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's, that's, and I think, yeah, hopefully um, that comes back as far as um, the, the newcomers learning about that. And, you know, you, you do see it sometimes on set the, because of the lack of understanding and, and having, you know, you, you don't want to be working with people that kind of uh, require, an in, you know, have that, oh, I, I don't really know until I see it on the screen kind of attitude and I think that's the, uh, that's, I've, I've bumped into it a few times. You know, e- even, yeah. even directors like trusting their cinematographers, you know, they, they don't really have that kind of experience so they, they have to see how it looks exactly. And so that part of it I think you, has lost a little bit in the art of uh, cinematography and, and filmmaking itself but... Yeah, on the other hand, there are some positives, obviously, too. Yes, I mean, I think that it gives, it opens up a whole world of people being able to make great stories and people, because of the cost of it and the availability of equipment, I think people just have the opportunity, there's a lot more opportunities and I think great projects get made that aren't necessarily funded, hugely funded, um, because, you know, it is accessible to, to people and some great stories come out of that mm. way of making films these days, which is, which is 
a very good thing. Yeah, oh, definitely. So, yeah, there's a lot of pros for it as well. So starting out in your early days, you, you've obviously touched on working, moving up the ranks to, to become a cinematographer. Is that something you always kind of wanted to be or, or is it it's like that attracted you, specifically that role, or how did you sort of come to the conclusion that that's what you'd love to be doing? Well, as I said, I, I did a lot of stills when I was at school, so I kind of really liked taking photographs. Um, I think what kind of evolved from that was I did, I tend to see myself now as a cinematographer, not as a photographer. Um, I love the whole storytelling process. Um, yeah, I, I like collaborating with people, but I just like using, you know, photography or cinematography to tell stories and the different styles that you can use and the, yeah, it's just a, it's a, that's what I love the most about it, I, I think, is the storytelling. Once you work through the ranks to become a cinematographer, was it a natural progression or, or is it something that you've kind of seeked out and approached the director and said, hey, I'm ready to shoot a film? Or how, how did it happen for you? Um, I think that's probably the case. I'd sort of made my way up through the industry and at each phase of being in the camera department, I kind of felt ready to move on and challenge myself in other ways. Um, I felt that I knew the job that I was doing and I was really ready, to, as I said, to move on. And as I kind of got higher up in the, in the pecking order of the camera department, so into focus, then moving into operating, um, I, I think I became just more aware of cinematography and how you can use it to tell stories. And I really, I sort of felt like I had the technical stuff together. I was together with that. So I could kind of just move forward into that other, other aspect of it. And working with, you know, working with so many different cinematographers over all those years, I guess I, I knew what I liked, what I didn't like. I mean, all cinematographers that I worked with were really great, but there were definitely times when I just went, oh, I don't really like this way that they light things or this is really fantastic. So, yeah, so it was, you know, or even operators, like working with people like John Seal, who's just the most amazing camera operator and cinematographer and just seeing the way that he used the camera, used the lighting, you know, I just, yeah, it was, it was good. I just picked up things that I, that I really liked and sort of moved forward with that. I mean, I don't think that every film I have shot looks the same by any means because hopefully the cinematography that I use is certainly, um, you know, very, it's certainly distinctive to the story that I'm trying to tell. Yeah, I think that's important that unless you're an, ex an extreme extreme stylist in, in cinematography, you have to be appropriate to the story. Someone like uh, Roger Deakins, for example, didn't win an Oscar until Blade Runner, funny enough, because all his previous work, his cinematography was invisible in a way, beautifully done, but invisible. Yeah, and I think, you know, that's what the beauty of his work is. It's not about the cinematography, but it's certainly, when you look at all the films that he shoots, um, it's so completely 
you know, integral to the story that they're trying to tell. And if you do actually sit down and spend time and look at his work in detail, which I'm sure that we all do as cinematographers, um, the films are just stunningly put together mm. in a cinematic, you know, incredibly brilliant cinematography. And I think that's the thing with my work is I don't kind of set out to make a film that says, hey, look at me, um, look at the cinematography, isn't it great? Really, I, I do believe that cinematography should be invisible in that way, that it doesn't stand out as one part of a story that's being told. It actually fits in the same as editing, design, performances. So to me, that's, that's a true, you know, a, the true art of cinematography. What attracts you in a in a certain production or stories that you know? I guess that aligns with your philosophy and and style of work. Well, I guess the thing is, is that um, you know I do tend to uh, very much work on things that I like the script. You know, if I don't particularly like the script, then I'm not really interested in working on it. Mm. Um, you know, it's a lot of hard work and you have to be very connected with the story, I think, to enable you to be able to shoot it, mm. you know, because if you don't see it as an emotional piece, then it's very hard to know what to do with the camera. Yeah, well, well, you have to connect to the script big time. So You do have to connect <laughs> to the script, absolutely. Yeah. And I think at the moment that's kind of, yeah, that's sort of what I'm, I think that I've always kind of been a little bit like that. I mean, I guess in the past when I was starting out that I was doing, you know, I was doing probably stuff that I wasn't necessarily thought was fantastic as far as story went, but it was, you know, a good opportunity to practice. <laughs> yeah. To practice my skill, but I think that you still have to be attracted to the story. You still have to engage with it. I mean, when I'm working on a script, you know, it really is about the emotional, the emotional aspects of the script that really dictate the way that we're going to shoot it as far as lighting, camera movement, all of those things go, composition. So, knowing, you know, knowing the characters and how they react to one another and you know, what sort of space they're in at certain times and their relationships with other people. I mean, you can't really put a camera somewhere if you don't understand those those aspects of the, the story. Yeah, definitely. From your times, I, I had a look at your, you know, IMDb credits and working obviously in the early days you'd gone up into through, through all the um, phases in, in the camera department but I, I, I saw that more recently, I guess you worked on Gods of Egypt as, as a camera B operator. How, how was that working on such a large production but also now having that a huge amount of experience by this time in your life to, to work as camera B and work under Peter Menzies Jr. You know, to, to shoot a, a film, with, especially such a large scale and obviously very visual effecty. Like mm. with all that life experience that you brought to that, ha, ha, even though – you're not, no longer a cinematographer, but what what did you bring to the project from that respect? Um, look, it's an American film, so I guess you don't bring a lot to it. 
um, as a big camera operator. I mean, you kind of just point the camera in a sense. Um, you know, I guess technical experience as far as being able to operate a camera. Um, look, I did that production because I hadn't done an American film for quite a number of years. And I, there's a lot of new equipment out there, a lot of new lighting equipment, visual effects, a lot of new grip equipment, cameras, like we were using an 8K camera, we were using the new Panavision 70 lenses. Um, yeah, it was like a huge lighting film, obviously, because we were on stage doing visual effects, so a lot of blue screen. And, there, you know, there was a lot of new giant LED lights and things that I hadn't had an opportunity to work with before. So it was, I felt, I mean, my kind of decision for doing it was because I just wanted to be on a set and see all the new technology really. I mean, the storytelling is another thing because it's not exactly the world's most fantastic film. Um, but I think that's what I, what I wanted to get from that film. And I had worked with Peter for a long time when I was an assistant. So we had a relationship. Mm, so that was, and I'd worked with Alex as well on a number of commercials as well. So, yeah, so that was kind of, it, it's uh, probably not something that I'll do again. Um, I sort of had stopped doing American films because the stories that I was doing, I didn't really like them that much. And it's such a machine as well that mm. it's not really my thing. It's not, it, it was hard to stand back and be just an operator and not actually be involved in the creative side of things. But, but that's okay. I resigned myself to that and I just, you know, I knew what I was going in, into, so it was fine. I just took other things from it. Yeah, that's it. I mean, and, and that's the thing with, um, you know, people forget that, oh, it all sounds fantastic to work on a big budget film, but, you know, like really how much involvement is there, even especially if you're just a camera operator, like is it that controlled? And, yeah, so that that's understandable. Oh, not really very much. I mean, certainly as a, a camera operator, Peter McCaffrey, who's in, who was the A camera operator, I mean, he's a remarkable operator. He's very involved. Obviously, in setting up shots and, you know, just he's very, very involved with the director and the DP. But as a B camera operator, you're not really, you don't, you're not sort of working on that level at yeah. all. Yeah, that's it, which is fair enough. You're just picking off. Well, yeah, I mean, that's what B camera does. They just mm. pick off other shots. They just, you know, that's what it is. Yeah, exactly. So, well, at least you know your role and then, you, you know, you'd be professional and you just get on with it. So that's the way it works. Yeah. So going to uh, your own work, I actually did re- recently got to see Rabbit. Um, oh, yes. And I thought that was quite, a, yeah, very um, almost, I don't know, the way I would describe it, ultra-naturalistic if there's a way to describe it. So I'm wondering what was the thought behind the concept. So, I mean, yeah, I, I won't do the highlights. People can check it out on IMDb what Rabbit's about. But, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's a, you know obviously a bit of a... It messes with your mind a little bit. So the idea behind it, I guess, what what was sort of the talk between you and the director on on that film? Um, well, I've worked with Luke um, quite a bit on commercials as well. Um, yeah, it was pretty naturalistic. Uh, it was, you know, it, we. Uh, I feel I don't know whether anyone else does, but I think it had a, a certain style to it. Mm. It was very kind of tableau set up. Um, very simplistic in a sense that it was very stark 
there was like not a lot of production, like that huge amount of production design, but very kind of empty frames and things like that. Um, we didn't really want the camera to move a lot. Uh, yeah, that, that was a definite decision that we made. It wasn't that we didn't have, you know, the budget to do it. It's just the way that we wanted it to be. Um, and then we just had particular scenes where we had steady cam and brought movement into things just to kind of try to heighten certain situations. So when you were, I guess, shooting, because uh, there was quite a lot of outdoor scenes, were you keeping the, um, I guess, the lighting quite minimal? Like was it more uh, using modifiers versus electricity lighting? Oh, sure. I mean, we were just using natural light. We had a, I mean, we were very fortunate in that film, I felt, because we wanted it to have a really a, quite a European feel to it, which was sort of the references that we used for that film. And we were fortunate enough to not have any sunny days the entire time we shot it. So every day was overcast and it had that kind of really soft overall look to it, which was great considering we shot in Adelaide in September, October, which is usually extremely like blue skies, harsh light. So we were very lucky in that sense. I mean, I don't know what I would have done had the weather not been on my side because we wouldn't, certainly wouldn't have, it wouldn't be the same looking film, I don't think. Yeah, I mean, it definitely it was very, very soft. And I mean, it reminded me of, um, yeah, I mean, when we were shooting our film, yeah, on the other hand, I wanted harsher light and we had so much overcast because we were shooting in Victoria. So <laughs> it's one of yeah. those things, but it worked for it. In the end, it actually worked. And that's the thing. Sometimes sometimes the nature gives us the the feel of, of the film. And luckily for, you know, for you with Rabbit, definitely added a lot in that sense, in that style. And because the way the character felt in it, I, I, I thought it was it was good that it was quite diffused looking rather than hard light. Mm. Yeah, I don't think that would have worked nearly as well. But, yeah, I mean, the, the references to that film were really Scandinavian films. So, you know, they tend to be the lights so beautiful mm. in those parts of the world. So that was the look that we were after and, yeah, hopefully we succeeded. Yeah, I, I, yeah, the look of the film is stunning. So that that's one thing. I think, uh, yeah, I mean, we, we, the it's one of those films you have to almost watch twice to kind of really get. Even though it's on the surface, it feels very simplistic as far as the storyline of what happens mm. to the lead character. But on the on the depth of it, there's a lot of stuff there that I'm like, kind of need to get that again. But and so I think that yeah. <laughs> that was kind of good that maybe that maybe the cinematography was kept in that style that rather than trying to make it all you know, too too complicated as far as what's in front of the camera. It was, yeah, it was quite minimalistic. Obviously in the house, when the house, it all felt quite empty. Didn't actually feel. Yeah. Um, and well, was, I mean, we, you know, we were trying to make her feel isolated in this space and mm. trapped and, you know, it. Were, I mean, I thought it was, the locations were fantastic. Mm. And I just thought, I, I just loved the simplicity of them, the, the colours, the, it was it was very kind of muted. There weren't any primary colours and it was just, you know, just big spaces and just like her in these big empty spaces, which mm. was really, um, yeah, that was the idea. Yeah, excellent. And in, in, uh, with pre-production in that, how, how much was it uh, quite heavily storyboarded or not at all? 
did you come up with the shots on the on the set more? Like how how was that process as far as visualizing the the story itself? Um, definitely, I'd spoken to Luke for a long time about it, and you know, once again, as I was saying, there was a lot of referencing going on with film with other films and styles, and and also just from working with him for a long time, we had a kind of shorthand anyway. Um, I guess when I went down, I only had two weeks pre-production on that film. That was, um, yeah, because I was away doing something else. So, and also that's all the pre-production I had. So pre-production, unfortunately, is just getting shorter and shorter these days. Mm. Um, but, I, you know, I spend, I tend to spend a lot of time with the production designer and with the costume designer. So that's, you know, we bring all our ideas together and then we kind of coordinate and collaborate and that. I mean, the last two weeks of any pre-production is difficult because there's things like the actors are arriving, there's a lot of rehearsals on. It's very hard to get any time with the director at all. But, um, yeah, we spent quite a bit of time together. And as I said, we did a lot of pre, pre-production on that film. So I had a pretty good idea. And Luke certainly kept me in the loop right from the start with locations, sending me locations and, you know, did I like them or not or, yeah, so that was, he was great. And he's just like a very open, amazing person to talk to. He's incredibly articulate and, yeah, he's, he's a great collaborator. Nice. There you go. And I, mean, I don't know how well the film did but uh, did you get much recognition for it as far as cinematography? Uh, no. <laughs> Not really, no. Yeah, so, um, you know, I'm not comparing myself at all to Roger Deakins in any stretch of the imagination, but, um, you know, I mean, I think it's interesting that he only just received his first Academy Award. Mm. Um, I think that that says a lot about his work. I mean, I'm... You know, I don't, I don't really need to be recognised for my work. I mean, hopefully it just speaks for itself and it doesn't stand out, it doesn't scream out at you and that's fine by me, you know. I mean, obviously I, I get work so people like what I do but winning awards and things, it's not really that important to me. Yeah, oh, of course. I, I think it's more of a CV thing and hopefully you get more work but... Um, yeah, I, I, I think it's just sometimes your, you know, the work you do, you hope people would see it. I guess you you create this, you know, filmmaking is about audience, and it's just, I, I, yeah, that's the bit that I'm like. Sometimes you see some piece of work, and then no one's even ever heard of it, and you're like, but it's so amazing. Yeah, and that's the that's the bit. I mean, I guess not necessarily accolades, but just uh, yeah. I mean, look, I think the thing. The, you know, the thing with me is that if, if a show that I've worked on, which has happened, has won, you know, the best TV series or something like that, then, you know, I just think that that means that everybody's work has come together to make something really great. And it's not particularly one person who's stood out amongst those creative people, you know, and that's, that's a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you want the whole product. That's the point of it, that. Yes. It's kind of people people see it and just really appreciate it as the whole piece. Yes, um, yeah, that's it. It's a big thing. I mean, you, do, you know, it's uh, I think I can't remember who said it. I remember reading an article once saying that, you know, nothing worse when you read a review about the film and they pretty much say, oh, this cinematography is amazing and then that's about it. Yeah, that's like, it. That's 
<laughs> you don't want that. <laughs> not really. Uh, no, no. Not at all. So, you, so that's the, I guess that's the that's the goal of everyone on the on the set to do that. To yeah, hopefully, the whole film. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so, working, um, you've also uh, worked on well, more recently on on the children's TV series Unlisted, a Netflix series. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. what, tell us a little bit about the experience there. Well, I guess doing an entire, you shot the entire series, right? Yes, I did. So, yeah, so as, as the entire series, you know, I, I guess what was the challenges, of, you know, doing a, such a long form and tell us a little bit about the project because at the moment it's not released yet, is it? No, I mean, it's a really great project. It's, um, you know, it's a really great, solid, fantastic idea for a kid's show. It's basically about um, a, a big multi billion dollar corporation that has implanted AI chips into kids and they're trying to control them and then there are some kids who have not have somehow avoided being implanted and they kind of take on company controlling them so I I loved the idea I just thought that it was such a great idea and such a great idea for kids that um, you know that was where I was why I did the show I just thought it was a really exciting fantastic original idea um, look, it, it has its challenges. It was um, we were shooting an episode every four days. We had a huge ensemble child cast with all of them with dialogue. Uh, we had basically no time to shoot it in, and it's um, yeah, it's hard work. In saying that, how much of what you plan and your visual style that you wanted to uh, put in there? Like, what were some of the things you really wanted to? bring across in that. Oh, look, we, you know, it was definitely very, you know, we had a style and we had rules and we stuck to those, I felt. I think the consistency of the series is pretty good actually from one end to the other. I mean, that's the most important thing. You have to set it up. You have to stick to your ideas so that each, you know, each episode is, um, you know, flows into the next one. You don't want to go, oh, let's try this sort of halfway through it. I think that you have to be very... um, you know, really stick to to the initial rules of, of the program and hopefully that's what happened. Um, it's, you know, like it's challenging. You're working with, you're working very fast. You're working with kids who are inexperienced actors. You're working with a lot of different directors. You're really running running the show because you're the kind of constant on the floor. So that's, um, you know, that it, it can be challenging. But, you know, in the end, I thought it was a, you know, I think it's going to be a great show. Wow. So is there an aspect that you really enjoyed working on uh, the TV series? Look, I think the joy of working on long form in a sense is that you are shooting every day, day in, day out, and it becomes very instinctive because I think that when you go into productions that are quite short, you're sort of very conscious of everything that you're doing. When you're working on something that's kind of going so fast, it's really a lot of instinctive stuff comes out and you, I guess you just chat, um, you kind of uh, have more risk and that's, you know, you become riskier and riskier. You take more and more risks and that's really fantastic. That's a really, I love that. I think that's really great, you know, and risks as in just sort of saying, you know, for instance, oh, you know, it's really, you know, we've got this location and it's really dark or it's really this or that or, and you just kind of go, oh, it'll be fine. 
Whereas at the beginning of the show, you're like, oh, my God, is it going to be too dark or is the background going to blow out or is this going to, you know, like you're just a lot more sort of pedantic about things and I think you let go of that and I, I think that's great, a really great mm. thing. And, you know, like I guess that's what we all aim for really is to not be pedantic and not be too kind of conscious of all that stuff and really just to, to let go a bit. I think, you know, all up. All, you know, not saying that I'm an artist, but I think all artists do that. They really just want to let go and just let it happen. And you can do that when you're working on something that's longer, which is really exhilarating. Yeah, uh, I yeah, definitely agree on that. You know, on the short projects, you just, uh, you know, even short films I've shot, you know, you get to the maybe third day and you're like, oh, now I'm just getting into it, you know. Yeah, you, you just kind of let go and that's really just so great. With uh, working with your um, crew, do you, do you try to work with the same crew as much as possible? I do actually. Yeah, I mean, I I, uh, I am a pretty loyal cinematographer. I would say I like there's certain people that I definitely like working with. I mean, so yeah, it's kind of tricky at the moment because some of the people I've worked with have kind of re- on retiring, and then other people are moving up in the in the department. Like my focus puller is now shooting. So it's tricky. But, um, yeah, it's I do try and work with people because people have the same kind of style and when they know what you like and what you don't like, then that makes it just that shorthand really yeah. much better. And also I just like people to be pretty chilled out. So I work with <laughs> a lot of people who are really pretty calm and lovely. <laughs> oh, that's good. That's what you want. I'm a, I think it's a big thing where um I, i've i've learned as well along the way that you have to make people feel comfortable especially the actors with the camera and things like that because it's well talking about you know working with children that's uh you have to be pretty calm there yeah you do you do and it's not always a calm environment so yeah it's a bit of a struggle sometimes but hey i think everyone goes through the same thing <laughs> But I think I think the thing is is just with the with the crew. I mean, you know, pretty well everyone's really technically proficient and good at what they do, and it's really about how much time you want to spend with certain people. And you know, like I, I just like the people I work with because I just find that I can, you know, travel with them, live with them in Airbnbs, work with them. You know, it's it's all of those things that come into it as well, and they're also exceptionally good at what they do. So, yeah, mm, yeah, you need that combination. And so, with that, with uh, for you, as far as communication, is there sort of certain approaches that you like? I mean, obviously, you've obviously mentioned that you want a chilled crew, but as far as actually communicating between different departments, is there sort of something that you you, you an approach you like to take? Well, yeah, I mean, I think that on hopefully all the productions I do, I I include my crew, I bring my crew in right at the very beginning and I just keep them in the loop of all the conversations that I've had with directors and producers and and just give them all the information that I'm gathering as I'm going along so that they know where we're kind of at. So by the time that we get to the production, they pretty well know what style it's going to be so I think communication is really the, you know, communication and um, just collaboration. I mean, I'm not the kind of DP who will tell my gaffer what to use, when and where. I really, you know, engage them to 
to bring their own ideas to the production and so it becomes a lot more collaborative in that sense. You know, and I figure that, you know, a, a focus puller or a gaffer or a grip, you know, they're so they have such a lot to give that, you know, it's great to take that on. I mean, as a cinematographer on a TV show, you're so busy that you really need people to bring things to the production. And, mm-hmm. yeah, so the more information they've got, the more that it enables them to bring that to the production for sure. Like how to do things, how to, you know, should we use this or that or what, you know, just, yeah, all kinds of stuff. So, you know, my group and gaffer on the TV show were amazing. They were so just really great, you know, and you just have to let them do do things, you know. You're busy, so busy doing other things that, you know, if they know how a certain location you give them a general overview of the way you want it to look and then you just let them get on with it. I find it that the smoothest crew is usually when everyone feels they're part of this yeah. large project and I think when yeah, you start exclu- not necessarily excluding but you're just not informing people then they, they can easily fall behind. Either not informing them or giving them, you know, like kind of controlling what they're doing. Mm. And I think a certain amount of resentment comes out of that as well, you know. Yeah. I mean, as much as we like to think we're all, uh, I guess, uh, you know, just get on with the job and robots, we all, we all still operate with emotions and wants and needs. So just yeah, like the stories we like to tell. Yeah, absolutely. So, so actually getting on to that, you, you've worked on a, a, do, a feature documentary called Machine, which is interestingly enough about, um, I guess, AIs, whether they can outsmart us. Can, can you tell mm. us a little bit about the... <laughs> How you, how you got involved in that project, and then, and also I'm interested, you know, outcomes for yourself, your thoughts on on AI and and how that that affects filmmaking. Oh, that's an interesting question. Um, well, you know, artificial intelligence is all human based. I mean, you have to give the algorithms to the machines to enable them to, you know, to work things out. So you know, humans are very much in control of it. I guess what I got out of that production as far as AI goes is that there's some really great aspects of it. Um, it is something that is that, you know, we work alongside AI in every aspect of our lives, like Netflix, you know, watching television, using your phone, like, you know, every single kind of, th- you know, doing your banking. Anything that you do is has got some aspect of AI in it at you know, at the moment or we'll always have from now on, I guess. Um, and then there's some really terrible aspects of it as well, you know, like, you know, war and using AI weapons and, you know, obviously surveillance, um, information that's sort of thrown at us, you know, perhaps elections, I'm sure elections, <laughs> mm. things like that. I mean, they're the that to me, that's the bad side of it. But I, th- I think that it's certainly um, the good side certainly outweighs the bad. That was my sort of idea of it from all all of the interviews and all of the people I met along the way. It was fascinating, really fascinating. Well, yeah, I look forward to seeing it. Is that uh, going to be released on, on streaming or do you know where that's? Um, it will have a... a uh, it will have a, a theatrical, rela- a small theatrical re- release in mid, the mid-year and then hopefully, yeah, I think it will go on to streaming. 
Oh, wonderful. Yeah, I look forward to seeing that. I mean, it's an interesting subject, you know, like I, uh, because I also uh, do color grading, I um, follow a few different interesting uh, advancements, I guess, in, in, in the plugins that they, they allow you to do in DaVinci. Like, you know, there's a guy working on an AI-based system where it can literally uh, mask out uh, people in a normal scene, completely normal scene, no no 3D data or anything involved, just the straight footage from, you know, and people working on systems like that. Mm. I think those other things are wonderful for, for filmmaking. I mean, obviously oh, there's yeah. obviously fear-mongering, you know, we'll start using uh, AI-based characters like, the, the, you know, I mean, I've, I've already seen it, an AI edited a, a story, like wrote a script, and then they just shot it and see yeah. what the outcome was. It was pretty bizarre, but, you know, interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, there's certain effects of it. I mean, even in cameras, I guess, you know, if, if the camera technology they start employing think some of those things, it, you know, it'd be nice. Um, but I, I guess it's a, it's the idea of control though, because people, a lot of people fear the idea of, well, if it come, takes that out of my hand, then, then I'm not really being creative. Like it's a machine doing it for me. So there's Well, it sort bad. of depends though, because I think that you have to, you know, you have to know what's out there, what's available to you, and you've got to use the bits that you think are good and then disregard the things that you don't. Yeah. Exactly. So, I mean, it's our choice. You know, it's like I don't use Facebook. I mean, I just don't like it. It's not a, you know, which is a mm. kind of a really bizarre thing to do when you work in the film industry as a freelancer and you're not kind of engaged in that whole platform. But I just don't like it. I just, um, you know, I just choose not to use Facebook for certain reasons. And, you know, it's if people, you know, it, it's you just have to choose what you're going to do, you know. Do you cover your camera on your computer or do you, you know, not? Do you use your computer for banking? Do you, you know, like it's your, ultimately it's your choice as to how you're going to engage with that. Mm. It's no one else's making you do things. It's, you know, it's, it's all your choice. Unless you yeah. live in, you know, certain places which are completely controlled by, you know, governments and things like China and, you know, all kind. I mean, even in Australia, I mean, you know, we're doing this kids show on AI and, you know, surveillance and things. And, you know, like it's like one of the themes to it is we shoot video surveillance cameras whenever we see them. And, you know, they're everywhere. They're absolutely mm. everywhere, everywhere you turn. It doesn't matter where you are. Everything's got a surveillance camera on it. So, I mean, unless you're kind of aware of that, then, you know, people just go about their business and, and are pretty ignorant, I think. So I think it's good to be aware of it. But I think it's also great because, you know, it works. You know, it's used in medicine and it's used to help people in amazing, fantastic ways. So, you know, there's good and bad things to it, definitely. yeah. yeah. So coming from, yeah, with the film idea that, um, you know, you've obviously happy to shoot on digital and, and you've embraced it. As far as the post-production part of it, I'm not sure how often you've had uh, instances where you've done, you've shot it on, on whatever digital format and then the colorist didn't quite do the, the look that you were after. Like has that happened to you? Oh, Yes. That happens and, and, a bit on commercials. Yeah. Um, and so, so how, how do you try to maintain that? Like, to, 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 I mean, obviously communication. Okay, so is- I look, 
Yeah, I mean, I, look, I spend a lot of time setting up, you know, my LUT and I stick to it and I kind of work with a one light so that you basically can put one LUT over all of my rushes and hopefully it stays pretty consistent the whole way through. I mean, on Rabbit, I certainly set up a LUT and it took, you know, we only graded for four days because really there wasn't, you know, I knew exactly what I wanted and... I really gave the grader a one light and then they just kind of, you know, worked it from from there using that as my base for the base for the grade. So mm. it kind of seems to work pretty well. Look, it's a lot of trust. You know, you have to kind of go in there. I mean, on machine, you know, I, I went in and I worked with the grader and they had an amazing grader and, and, you know, you do get to choose a lot of the time who you want to work with and mm. – you know, I'm pretty, you know, I have a little small group of people who I like to grade my my shows, my films or commercials and, yeah, and if I get those people, I have complete and utter trust in them and they respect what I want. And, you know, and they're amazing and they, you know, can help you. I mean, I do leave things when you're working really fast, you have to leave things for post-production, you know, for the grade, like you have to leave things that perhaps are, you know, a little blown out or you don't have time to ND things or you don't have time to, you know, control things in a certain way and you need to make a note of that and you need to give that information to the grader and then they can help you. So it's not like it's mm. a us and them situation. I mean, if you have a good grader who you get on with and respect and, you know, have mutual respect, then, you know, you work together and make things great. Mm, oh, definitely. I mean, it, it, they, they they need to be seen as part of the camera team in a way, as in sort of like a camera operator. If you've got to, they've got to be on on the on the same page. Yeah, absolutely. And you've and got to once again give them a lot of references and a lot of information before you go into the production with you know what what you want your ideas are, and hopefully they'll, you know, I mean, if you get to choose people, then obviously they're going to be very, um, you know, very collaborative with what you know, with what you want. The hardest thing about grading at the moment is that there's so many different platforms that things go to. So, you know, they go to H- mm. HDR or they go to 4K or they go to 2K or they go to, to a DCP or, you know, like or they go online. I mean, it's kind of, you know, that's a really hard thing to deal with and you also tend to spend time in grading suites now that are, are small, they don't have the best screens in the world and, you know, you don't really know what you're getting at all. So you just have to have a lot of trust in what, you, what you're doing. I mean, on Rabbit, for instance, I mean, in pre-production, I set up my LUTs and we took it all the way through to the DCP, you know, and nice. that's what you should do because that's ultimately where it's going. And if you're happy with your DCP, then really you just have to let go of all those other platforms. Yeah, that's great advice, really. At the end of the day, you just can't worry about everything. So switching gears up a bit, staying motivated as a cinematographer or filmmaker with the crazy hours that we have to to do, how do you maintain a lifestyle? What are some of the things you do to keep refreshed? To just have a balance, try and have a balanced life. I think you have to be interested in other things apart from, you know, apart from just work. I mean, I don't think I... You know, I don't identify myself as a, you know, hi, I'm Anna Howard, I'm a cinematographer. Hopefully I'm 
a lot more than just that. You know, I'm involved in other things. I sail, I garden, I paint, I have a great family, I do work for, you know, I volunteer and do things. I mean, I think you have to just find a balance and, you know, perhaps that makes you a a better all-round person and have more understanding of the world that we're in and, yeah, and I mean, I'm very inquisitive and very kind of adventurous, I suppose. So going off and going to other countries and meeting people in documentaries, you know, I just find it really fascinating. It's just something that that interests me a lot. But, you know, I think that a big problem with working in the film industry is that people kind of work to live, you know, or live mm. to work, I should say, and that their whole identity and their whole life is completely wrapped up in what they do as opposed to, you know, and I think that that's a dangerous thing to do because, as you say, a lot of the time you're not employed, you're not working, you're not kind of, you know, my kids have left home, I live on my own, I don't have that, you know, one minute I'm with 60 people in a very intense situation and the next minute I'm at home cooking my own meals. I mean, it's it's a, it's a very hard lifestyle and mm. so you have to kind of try and find some kind of balance to, you know, not get depressed. You know, a lot of people in the film industry suffer from terrible kind of lows and stuff and it's concerning and worrying, you know. Even for myself, you know, worked on a big project, massive 11-week shoot, just ri- ridiculous, you know, nonstop. You know, you're working on adrenaline and yeah. you know, half the time. And then, yeah. then, the, then the film, you know, is completed as far as production or post-production and then, you know, after it you're trying to, trying to get more work and, and you, you don't, like, it becomes very disheartening. And everybody suffers it and, you know, I think that it's really important that you, you know, you just are aware of that and I think that it's important, you know, that you keep an eye out for each other and make sure that people are okay when they're in yeah. those situations. You know, I do have a few people in young people in the camera department who I kind of look out for and make sure that they're all right. And, you know, it's a, it's a hard business to be in. And it's kind of, you don't understand, like one minute you're working and you're working with the same people and you're getting, you know, and you're busy, busy, busy. And the next thing, you know, <clears throat> they might go on to another production and they don't ask you to go with them. And you, you know, you have all this self-doubt and stuff and you just have to, mm. You know, you have to work through those things and you have to not take things. You can't be presumptuous. You can never be presumptuous. I mean, people just can't just think because you've done 10 jobs with someone that they're going to employ you on the next one. It just, <laughs> you know, the older you get, the more you realise it. That's just not the case. So, you know, I think that, <clears throat> you know, it's it's a tough, it is a tough business. You know, but then on the other hand, it's it's fantastic. You know, I love it. It's amazing and you know, I haven't stopped working since February last year, basically. I've had no time off right. at all. Um, and then you sort of think, oh, my God, you know, what if I don't get another job, you know? It's, yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 a, it's hard. a funny one. It is a funny life. And, uh, you know, you just got to find other things to balance out, things that you are interested in. But then that's difficult because you never know when you're going to up and leave again. So, yeah. Yes, I know that too well. <laughs> so in saying that, as crazy as filmmaking is, what do you kind of do and what do you really enjoy about the process of filmmaking and things that keep you inspired? 
to sh- keep shooting. But, you know, I, I like collaborating with people. I just, um, you know, I don't want to just go make my, my own films I, on my own, which a lot of people do. I just, I actually like working with other people. Mm. Oh, look, the joy about filmmaking is you never know what you're going to do from one day to the next. So it's a very exciting, <laughs> a very exciting job. But as I was saying, I think the most important thing is just to to have other interests so that it's not the do all and end all of your existence. Yeah, you know, and just be involved. And I, and I think also it's important. Now that I'm, I am getting older and I've had all the experience that I have that, you know, I do pass that on. I mean, I do teach as well, which I really enjoy. And, you know, just being involved in, in other aspects of the industry, like, you know, support and, you know, supporting perhaps, you know, young women or, you know, gender or, or you know, just diversity and things like that and using my experience to kind of, encourage other people to move forward because there's still a lot of discrepancy there as well. You know, it's still pretty hard for, um, for well, women to, you know, to move forward in the camera department. You know, it's getting better and better and better, but, but it's, you know, it's tough. Well, you could almost say you're one of the pioneers as far as women filmmakers, in a cinematographer who's now working, you know, a lot, at that level, but back back when you started, I mean, that would have been very limited for, for as far as women doing film production overall, not just in the camera department. So, you know, I mean, do you have some thoughts on that? Um, look, I think that, um, you know, as I said, I think it's getting better, but I, I still don't think that it's, you know, it, it'll take time, I think. And, I, you know, to some, I don't, think that there probably are the same opportunities here than there are overseas perhaps you know a lot a lot of women seem to be getting to us you know you get to a certain point and then kind of you don't you can't go any further like you kind of don't work on big budget american sort of films and it's you know and it's not something that i particularly want to do but i just think that you know the opportunities just still not quite there. Like mm. I, yeah, I think that it's, yeah, yeah, it, it's a tough one. I need to kind of, we need to try and mm. break through that a little bit. But that's yeah, also, you uh, know, diversity as well, I guess. Unfortunately, take its time. Uh, the, the mindset change and, you know, like I, being an immigrant myself, I always feel, I think people don't realise that we're all human beings and that we're all in the one country, the one world. Yeah. Like that's the way I feel, but I think that's still a long time before people start realising that and yeah. especially people in power, I think mm-hmm. setting the example is, is the key thing, those people yeah. in charge yes. setting those examples. I, I think the thing about that as well is that people don't kind of, you know, understand that, um, you know, we all have so much to bring to the industry as far as stories and things go and the more people come from different areas and the more ideas there are and the more interesting things are going to be. Yeah, oh, more dimensional for sure. You know, That's what you want. Yeah, I think that and I, I just find it kind of the Australian industry 
probably particularly television and stuff, it's, it's kind of reasonably uninspiring to me. <laughs> we seem to be stuck in this kind of format of television and the stories that we tell and they're not really that interesting. And I think perhaps the fact that there aren't more, you know, stories from migrants or Indigenous people or women or, you know, the it, it, it doesn't make for a very rounded society at all. I think it's getting better. It's getting better, yeah. definitely. I mean, you know, there's a lot of women in the camera department now and that's really fantastic, but we seriously need to move them up, you know, mm. and some of them are incredible, you know, and they'll be really quite brilliant at what they do. But it's, it's a very long, arduous process. We just have to do our best to encourage, you know, to be more open towards women in production in key roles and telling their stories as well. So uh, I guess uh, we've run out of time, but that's been wonderful uh, sharing your life experiences and thoughts on the industry and uh, really look forward to seeing more work coming from you. Okay, thanks so much, Peter. Great to talk to you. That was Anna Howard, ACS, and really excited to have next Earl Dresner, ACS. He's uh, actually worked with him before and he has some wonderful stories to tell. Uh, So make sure you subscribe and check out our podcast coming in two weeks. Mm -hmm.